The reading today comes from Ecclesiastes 11 verse 7 to 12 verse 14. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Hi everyone, it's great to have you join us today. Today we are in the final week of our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now I wonder how that makes you feel. For some of you, it might make you feel a little bit sad. I've had many people share with me they found this series helpful and meaningful. I'm a little bit sad. I mean, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Others of you, though, might be feeling relieved. And I wouldn't be surprised if you are. After all, Ecclesiastes is a confronting book. It pushes us and pokes us and prods us. It asks us difficult questions and it gives us uncomfortable answers. It really forces us to examine our lives against the backdrop of eternity. It's a little bit like a scene from the movie Contiki. 
Now, the movie's about a Norwegian explorer and his quest to cross the Pacific Ocean on a hand-built balsa wood raft. Now, there's a scene in the movie where a, a camera is poised above the raft and the camera then begins to zoom out and move up until that raft is just a tiny little dot in the Pacific Ocean. It then continues to go out until Earth itself is just a tiny little dot. Then the camera turns around and it zooms away into space. Eventually, it turns around again, begins to come back down, back down to Earth, back down to the Pacific Ocean, and eventually back down to the raft. Now, the effect of this scene is that when you get to the end of the movie, and spoiler alert, they make it across the ocean, you're left asking yourself, well, does it really matter? I mean, yes, they've managed to, to cross the ocean, but, but given the vast expanse of the universe, does it really matter? Is it really that impressive? I mean, this stretch of water is so little that the planet that it's on cannot even be seen from the edges of space. Does it really matter? Now, this is kind of what Ecclesiastes does for you and for me. It zooms in and zooms out of our lives. It forces us to ask questions about our lives. Why are we here? What really matters? What's our purpose? Today, in this final passage in Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher, the author of this book, the one who's been leading us on this search, he comes to the end of the matter. He, he comes to the conclusion. He, he tells us the meaning of life. And he actually zooms out one final time to, to look at life as a whole, from when we're very young through to when we grow old, to show us the meaning of life, to, to lead us to his conclusion. Now, if you've ever wondered, what is the, the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? This is the perfect week to have come to church. This is what this passage is all about. And we're going to explore this passage today under three headings. The teacher gives us three final commands about how to live wisely in God's world. And if you've been uh, tracking along with this series, these headings might sound familiar to you because they really summarize the theme of Ecclesiastes. They summarize the message of this book. If you're taking notes, the first instruction, the first command is this. Rejoice in life, especially when you're young. Rejoice in life, especially when you're young. Now, about six times in these verses, we are told to enjoy life, to have fun, to be happy. This is what we read in verse 7 and 8. The teacher says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. When you lay on the grass on a sunny day and you feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, it is a sweet and pleasant thing. Life's good. He goes on, he says, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Again, we are being commanded to enjoy life. And this is something we have been commanded to do throughout Ecclesiastes. This is one of the big lessons we've learned in Ecclesiastes. God wants us to enjoy life. But what makes this particular section unique is that it's addressed to young people. This is what we read in verse 9. You who are young, 
So this passage is talking straight to me and to all young people like me. He says, you who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Now, I bet that you didn't know this was in the Bible. I mean, most young people think the Bible says the opposite. Be quiet. Stop doing that. Behave yourself. But the Bible says to young people, enjoy life, especially when you're young. Now, let's admit that this seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, I understand that being young has its challenges, perhaps especially in our day and age, there is an epidemic of anxiety and depression among our young people. But generally speaking, you don't have to command young people to enjoy life. I mean, it comes pretty naturally to them. For example, if I'm going for a walk with my children and there's a puddle in the, the middle of the path, I, who am actually not young, but you know, getting old, I will step over it because I don't want my feet to get wet. My son and my daughter, they will jump in that puddle because why not? I mean, generally speaking, you don't have to command young people to enjoy life because generally speaking, life is pretty good. I mean, when you're young, you can run onto the footy field and not pull a hamstring. You can read a book without glasses. You can fall over and bounce up again. You have lots of opportunities to make new friends. You have less responsibilities. Your mind is nimble enough to quickly learn new things. You have the courage and the openness to try new things. I mean, your whole future is in front of you. And so the Bible says, enjoy life, especially when you're young. Now, why is it important for young people to hear this? Why does this passage speak directly to young people? Well, the teacher gives us a, a couple of reasons. And the first is because life is short. He says in verse 8, enjoy all the days of your life, but remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Now, when you're young, you tend to think that you're invincible. You're strong, you're healthy, you're happy, you have your whole future in front of you. You just assume that life is always going to be bright and bubbly and beautiful. But the teacher here gives us a reality check. He says, no, 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 there will be many days of darkness, which will be followed by the dark embrace of old age and death. And here's the really scary part. It will be here before you know it. I mean, talk to anyone who has lived for a little while and they will tell you that life goes quickly. Novelist and author Terry Pratchett, he says this. He says, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. I mean, I've lost count of the number, number of people who have said to me as they've seen me wrangling my small children. They said something like, enjoy it while you can. They grow up so fast. Now, I must admit that sometimes I want to say to them, well, take them. You enjoy them for a little while. But I understand what they're saying. I mean, when I look back on photos of my son Knox uh, when, from when he was one year old, I, I can barely remember it, even though it was just a couple of years ago. Life goes quickly. I remember when I was growing up and, and I used to uh, watch the, the footy and, and there was a stage in my life when as I'm watching the footy, all of the players were older than me. 
and I used to think I could do that one day. And then I got slightly older and all the players were about the same age as me. And I thought to myself, I could still do that. Now I'm at a stage where most of the players are younger than me and I think to myself, I could not do that. I mean, if I was playing footy, I would be getting close to retirement. I I would be getting past it. I would be over the hill. Life goes quickly. Life is short. The the book of Ecclesiastes says it's breath. It's a vapour. It's a puff of smoke. So the teacher says to young people, enjoy your life while you're young because life is short. He also says, enjoy your life because life is a gift. He says something really fascinating in verse 9. This is what the teacher says to young people. He says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now, to be honest, this sounds more like Disney than the Bible. I mean, do you remember the song by Princess Elsa from the movie Frozen? I'm not going to sing it for you because that would not be good. But this is what it says. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Now, there is a reason that this song resonated so deeply in our culture. We love the idea that this song promotes, that we should be able to do whatever we want to do. No right, no wrong, no rules for us. But is this really what the Bible is saying here in this verse? Not quite. See, the teacher goes on and he adds an important qualifier. Second half of verse 9, he says, Enjoy your life, follow your heart, follow what you see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, life is to be enjoyed, but it's not a free-for-all. The teacher is saying, no, no, actually, there is right, there is wrong, there are rules. Yes, God has given us this world and all that's in it as a gift to enjoy. In fact, he's commanded us to enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy it. But this world is not our plaything. We can't do with it whatever we want. We can't treat others however we want. We live in God's world. We are God's creatures and we are accountable to God. Maybe an analogy would help. Life is kind of like a buffet. Now, maybe you're expecting me to say life is like a box of chocolates. But life is like a buffet. Now, do you remember what a buffet is? There might actually be a a casualty of COVID. We might never see a buffet again. I guess we'll find out. But when you go to a buffet, you can eat whatever you want and however much you want. There is a smorgasbord of food for you to enjoy. But there are boundaries at a buffet. I mean, you can't take the tub of chicken wings back to your table. You can't stick your head under the ice cream machine. You can't scoop the food out with your hands. The buffet is for you to enjoy, but there are boundaries. And it's the same for life in God's good world. He has commanded us. He wants us to enjoy the buffet. But there are boundaries to our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy these things within the boundaries that he gives us, not 
because God wants to limit our fun, limit our enjoyment, but because God wants to enhance it. I mean, think about it. It might be enjoyable for a little while to take the tub of chicken wings back to your table, to stick your head under the ice cream machine, but eventually it's going to go bad. Eventually, either you're going to get sick or you're going to make someone else get sick. At the very least, you'll get a brain freeze. You're going to limit the enjoyment of others. I mean, you're going to stop others enjoying the chicken wings and the ice cream. If everyone did whatever they wanted at a buffet, the result would be chaos. Maybe you've been at a few buffets where it was chaotic. Well, it's the same in our world. In fact, it's the reason that our world is in chaos. Everyone is doing whatever they want at the buffet. Everyone is treating the gifts of God however they want. We're treating sex and money and power and all these things selfishly. And the result is chaos. Now, this is an important lesson for all of us to learn, but, but especially for young people. I mean, when you're young, you naturally push the boundaries. That's part of growing up. It's part of finding your place in the world. I I could tell you some stories about Hayden Smith, but I won't. See, if you're young, the teacher wants you to know that the God-given boundaries are for your good. God is not holding out on you and he's not holding back from you. God does not want to rob you of life. God wants to give you life. For example, if if you're a young person, you might be wondering, why would God want me to save sex for the commitment and intimacy of marriage? Well, the answer is not because sex is bad. Sex is a gift from God, but it's a gift with a specific purpose. It's a gift to create life, to bring unity between a husband and his wife. And it's a gift that serves as a picture of the love between Christ and his people. I mean, to use sex outside of its good boundaries, it's kind of like trying to use an iPhone to hammer nails. It leads to pain. And so the teacher is saying to to all of us, but to young people especially, Yes, enjoy the buffet, enjoy the gifts of God, enjoy your life. But remember, the boundaries are for your good. And remember that you will be accountable to God for what you do with what God has given you. Now, before we move on, let me just say to the person who's listening to this and and thinking to themselves, I have wasted my youth. I've wasted much of my life. I've lived sinfully and selfishly and destructively. Here's what one pastor would say to you. By the grace of God, even a life that is almost totally wasted can still be redeemed. As the Scottish theologian Thomas Boston once said, our present existence is only a short preface to a long eternity I think about the thief on the cross who is uh, hanging next to Jesus. He is in the very final moments of his life. We don't know what led him to that point, but he is a criminal. And yet he dies as a child of God. You can't change the past, 
but you can change the future. You can start to live today by enjoying life and glorifying God. The first lesson the teacher gives us is to rejoice in life, especially when you're young. The second is this, and I warn you, it's a heck of a gear change. The second lesson is remember death because it's coming. Remember death because it's coming. Now, in these verses, in in chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, the teacher gives us a very vivid description about what it is like to grow old, about the process of death and decay. This is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now you might be thinking, it doesn't say remember death, it says remember your Creator. And that's right, but why does it say remember your Creator? Why not remember God? Most scholars agree it's because the teacher wants to remind us that we are creatures, that we are finite, we are mortal, we will die. That's what he says in verse 7. He says, and the dust, that's us, returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. We are all in the process of death and decay. Now, the truth is we're not too keen on this idea. We love the previous point. We love the idea of being young and enjoying life while you're young, but we're not too thrilled with the idea that we all grow old and eventually we die. And the fact is, we live in a day and an age that has idolised being young. I mean, just think about some of the things that we see around us. Take anti-ageing cream, for example. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's a weird name because it's not going to stop you from ageing. Or cosmetic surgery. Again, nothing wrong with it, but it's not the answer. It won't stop you from growing old. Or take Ashley and Martin. Now, I swear that there is an ad for their hair regrowth service every single time I watch the cricket or the football. And every single time I'm tempted to buy it. I mean, we live in a culture that is bought into the pursuit of trying to remain young forever. For so many in our day and age, youth has not become the has not become the pathway to adulthood, it has actually become the goal of adulthood. As we grow older, we just want to be younger. Robert Harrison is a professor at Stanford and he did a a study in 2014 looking at how different cultures have related to age throughout human history. He wrote a book called Juvenescence, A Cultural History of Our Age. And this is what he says in the book, He says, for the first time in human history, in our day, the young have become a model of emulation for the older population rather than the other way around. Culturally speaking, be that in terms of dress codes, mentalities, lifestyles and marketing, the world that we live in is astonishingly beautiful and in many respects, infantile. Now, this is an amazing observation. He's saying those that we look up to, those who are our heroes, in our day, they are the young, the strong, and the airbrushed, instead of 
the old, the wise, and the experienced. And according to Robert Harrison, it has led to an infantile society. I mean, think about this. Why is it rude to ask someone their age? It's literally the number of years that we've been alive. And when you're young, when you're a kid, it's something to be proud of. You know, kids will say, I'm six, or I'm six and a half and a little bit. But then you grow up and you cross some invisible threshold in your 30s, and all of a sudden, your age becomes an embarrassing thing or a shameful thing. Now, why is that the case? Why does it matter? The answer is at least partly because we idolise youth and we fear getting old. And this is why we try to fight the process of ageing. Now, the reality is it's a battle we cannot win. It's a battle we will lose. This is what the teacher makes very clear in verses 2 to 8. He gives us a number of different images to describe the process of ageing. In in verse 2, he says it's like the sun and the moon and the stars going dark. In verses 3 to 5, he compares our bodies to a run-down house. It's this brilliant description of ageing. The teacher says when we get old, verse 3, the keepers of the house tremble. That is, our hands, which have defended us, they begin to shake. He says the strong men stoop. Our legs, which have carried us, they begin to weaken. He says the grinders cease because they are few. Our teeth fall out. The windows grow dim, our eyes begin to fail, and doors to the street are closed. We become hard of hearing. He says the sound of grinding fades. We have to put our stake in a blender because it's hard to chew. We rise up at the sound of birds. It's difficult to sleep. All their songs grow faint. We lose our singing voice. We are afraid of heights because a fall could kill us and of dangers in the streets because we cannot defend ourselves. The almond tree blossoms, our hair turns white, and the grasshopper drags itself along. We can no longer run and jump and skip, but we need to use zimmer frames and walking sticks. And then finally, desire no longer is stirred. And kids, you can ask your parents about that one later. I mean, this is a brilliant description of ageing. And of course, eventually, after this slow but inevitable descent into disrepair, eventually the house collapses and we die. Verse 5, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Once again, the teacher confronts us with the certain reality of our death, not to depress us, but to drive us to God. His message is, you are a creature, you will die. So turn to your creator before it's too late. Turn to your creator before you return to the dust. This is what he says in verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the picture is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. Remember your creator before it's too late. But here's the question. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to remember your creator? 
Does it mean you just think about your creator once or twice during the day? Just stick a post-it note on your bathroom mirror that says, I have a creator. I mean, what does it mean? Here's what Bono from U2 says. And apparently, yeah, Bono is a biblical scholar. He says, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet, it isn't. Now, I wonder if you think this is a letdown. And I wonder why Bono thinks that it isn't. Well, to answer these questions, we need to look at the final section of the book. The final instruction that the teacher gives to us. The first is rejoice in life, especially when you're young. The second is remember death because it's coming. And the third and final instruction, the end of the matter, the conclusion to the search is this. Revere God because that's what matters. Revere God because that's what really matters. Here's how the book ends in verses 9 to 14 of chapter 12, which interestingly enough, it is not the voice of the teacher. We actually have the voice of a narrator. I imagine kind of like Morgan Freeman speaking. And here's what he says to us in the conclusion of the book. He tells us a little bit about the teacher. He says, not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. He tells us that the teacher was a faithful teacher. His teaching was right and true. And I think most of us would agree with this. He's been a good guide. But the teacher was not only faithful and true, he was also provocative and painful at times. This is what the narrator goes on to say. The words of the wise, the words of the teacher are like goads. Now, a goad is a shepherd's tool that was used to poke and to prod an animal to get them moving. And this is what the teacher has done to us. He's poked us, he's prodded us to get us thinking about our lives, to get us moving towards God, which is exactly the point of the book, which is the end of the matter, the conclusion of everything. This is what we read, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. This is the point, the purpose, the meaning of life. This is the duty of all mankind. It's to fear God. Which does not mean to be afraid of him. It means to revere him, to worship him, to obey him. It means to take him seriously and to submit to him totally. It means that our lives revolve around God. He is the centerpiece of our lives. And this is why it's not enough to just remember our creator, to just intellectually believe in a creator. We need to move to the point of trust and submission and obedience. We need to lay down our lives before God. And this is what the teacher has been driving at all along. This is what he's been wanting us to see. 
not just to acknowledge that there is a God who created us, but for us to submit to him, to trust him, to obey him, to belong to him. And so the question becomes, what about you? Have you done that? At some point, you have to make up your mind. It's good to think and it's good to ponder and it's good to weigh up the options. But at some point, you and I need to say, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Here's where I stand. The Apostle Paul described some people in 2 Timothy as always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Or as Tim Keller once said, in our day, it's cool to search for God, but it's uncool to find him. Are you willing to be uncool enough to say to God today, I've been thinking and pondering and sitting long enough. The end of the matter, all's been heard. My answer is yes. If that's your response to God today, then he will lead you into a life worth living both now and forever. And we see how this will happen in the very last verse of the book. Verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, judgment again? Really? I mean, the idea of judgment scares us, threatens us, spooks us. But consider the alternative. If there is no God, it means there is no judge. If there is no judge, it means there is no ultimate judgment. If there is no ultimate judgment, then it means there is no ultimate meaning to life. It means that nothing really matters, that everything really is meaningless. But if the opposite is true, if there is a God and there will be a judgment, then everything matters. Our lives matter. The way we live matters. The way we treat others matters. The way we respond to God matters, and it matters forever. And this is what Ecclesiastes is all about. The message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters and life is meaningless. The message of Ecclesiastes is that with God, everything matters and life is meaningful forever. Because there is a day coming when God will wrap up human history. He will sweep away all of our false judgments and he will replace them with his true and just and perfect judgment. As Ray Ortland says, what a relief. The cause of justice is not finally in our fallible hands, but in his perfect hands. And no one is getting away with anything. Humans and human history is not meandering nowhere. Humans and human history are moving towards God. We are moving towards judgment and justice. And so now the question becomes, and I hope that you're feeling this, well, how can I possibly face this judgment? If every hidden thing, good or evil, will be exposed, how can I possibly stand before the judgment seat of God? And to answer this question, we need to look 
beyond Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is part of the unfolding story of the Bible and the unfolding story of the Bible tells us that we do not have to face this judgment alone, that we have a hero, we have a champion, we have a saviour. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Saviour, the Son of God, he came from heaven to earth and he came to bear our judgment. He came to stand in our place. He came to pay the penalty for our evil on the cross. And so that in him we can find pardon and we can receive forgiveness. Here's the way that one of my favourite hymns puts it, and I've shared this with you before. Because the sinless Saviour died... My sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And this means for all those who trust in Jesus, we can look ahead to the day of judgment, not with fear and trembling, but with gratitude and thanksgiving, because our judgment has already taken place at the cross of Jesus. We, the guilty, have been declared innocent in Christ. And this leads us to the truly scandalous good news of Christianity, that our creator and our judge can also become our father. I mean, this is why Christ came into the world, not just to help us remember our creator, not just to help us fear our God, but to bring us home to our father. It's what we read in the Gospel of John about Jesus in chapter 1, verse 12. To all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We all have a creator. We are all creatures. But we can only have God as our father if we receive his son. And so here we are at the end of Ecclesiastes. And what a journey it's been. And it all boils down to this. The roads away from God are dead ends. They promise us so much, but they deliver nothing. They only get darker and darker until they end in darkness forever. But it doesn't have to be this way because the way to God is open. The Father's arms are open through the finished work of his Son. And life with God through Jesus, it is meaningful and it matters forever. It just gets brighter and better and more beautiful. Jesus once said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you for its hard truths and honest answers. Thank you that it confronts us with the vanity and the futility of life without you. And thank you that you have not left us in this life under the sun, but you have come for us from beyond the sun. You have sent your son, our Lord Jesus, into our world to die in our place 
and to give us life. He is the light of the world. Help us, Lord, not to walk in darkness, but help us to come to him so that we might receive life, both now and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we close our service together before singing with these words from Galatians chapter 6. Someone encouraged me with these words this week and I want to close by encouraging you with them. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.